0: Welcome to episode 46 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jamison. My name is Jamison Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today, I'm joined again by Keith Garrett, He's the founder of Beyond FX. Things are going to be a little bit different today as he turns the mic on me for part of the conversation. We talk about life updates, our advice for getting into the industry, and general tips for success. Don't forget, you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jamison Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started.
1: How are you, buddy? What's up? How you doing, man?
0: Man, I am. I'm great, actually. I'm, I'm doing really well. How about you?
1: Good. It's uh there's a wealth of exciting things happening. So uh it's yeah. That's good.
0: Are they things you could talk about tonight or not?
1: Nah? Yeah, I mean a ton of them. I've on a personal note, I'm about to have a baby boy. Um, so excited so for you, man.
0: <laughs> that's great. That's huge. How how far away is that? Uh T minus six days. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. That is amazing. I'm very excited yeah. for you.
1: Um and then just uh business is good. We got a ton of really cool projects and I like my team starting to crack out some exciting stuff that I'm I'm blown away by and uh Yeah, I mean th- things are good man. I'm also uh thrilled to be here. You and I we touch base like once a year or so and have these like beautiful deeply introspective conversations (laughs) and you have gone through some journeys so I uh, I'm excited to be able to like half take over your stream tonight and uh, dig into the world of Jameson a little bit I I love
0: it I think it's gonna be fun I've got I've also got a list of things to peg you with Uh, I, I have no plan for tonight and I'm and I'm really excited about it but I wanted to have a few things that I was like if I find the right moment, I want to ask this. If I find the right moment, I want to ask this. So I've got I've got a list of those things. That's all I have. Otherwise, I'm excited just to see where this goes.
1: I love it. Well, can we address the uh the elephant in the room here? Wh- which one? <laughs> um, actually, I guess there's two. So one of them is uh I don't have a drink in my hand.
0: Oh yeah, you and, should fix that. Uh,
1: I don't think you do either. So I'm gonna pour some of this really quick.
0: All right, so. I, I do in that this coffee is heavily spiked and right, I'll, I'll take that and on top of that we've got the shots that can be redeemed in the chat yes a, and real quick we got a bunch of people that just jumped in subscribe and everything appreciate you guys welcome back it's a good time to be here it's gonna be a good night I'm excited so what, what are you gonna be drinking
1: what do you got I've got a bottle of Gentleman Jack by my desk nice is that always so- there it is actually, yeah. I mean, I my bar is in the house. Uh, I tend not to drink too much while I'm working because I've got to got to perform and be on my A game. But for Jameson, we're gonna drink.
0: Nice, I like it. And there was just a shot redeemed, so now I have to take a shot.
2: And uh, thank I'm you. Gonna, I'm gonna be drinking Jameson as well. <laughs> Cheers, buddy.
3: <laughs> All right. So the uh, the second
1: sh- elephant in the room. Um, Jameson, since the last time we spoke, uh, you got an awesome job. I did. Uh, how's it going, man? How's how's your your role with Insomniac?
0: You know, let what can I say? What can I say? Um, I am having a blast. Um, the the culture is amazing. Um, the, the onboarding process has been very good. Very. Very detailed, very, you know, like very good for me. Lots of lists, things that I can kind of, you know, because it's being neurodivergent makes it tough for me in a lot of ways, as far as like keeping track of things and, you know, making sure I don't miss something because my brain wants to move around a lot. So having like, hey, day one, you should do this. Day two, you should do this. Those kind of things are great. Uh, But on top of that, just their already dedication to diversity and you know making sure the place is safe for everyone that stuff was very visible and very vocal from the second i got there and especially with the stuff coming to light you know with activision blizzard and things like this and how important that is in our industry it was really nice to see that they're already well on their way to making sure that insomniac is a safe and great place for people to work so i'm very excited about that part
1: yeah that's fantastic it's um it's interesting how how low the bar is in our industry for doing a good job <laughs> right. in that. Uh, and there are a couple companies that in my mind have always uh, laid down a solid foundation for it. So um, I, I wanted to dig into that a little bit. Like when we were talking, I was asking, what are you looking for for your, for your next steps, right? And there was a lot of different things. And the opportunity that you jumped into is such a cool one because you're fully remote. Mm-hmm. And so Insomniac <laughs> was already split up uh and well established to work with teams right that weren't sitting next to each other but now yeah. you are entirely remote correct uh, and it's one of the first like real success stories for a studio that i've seen really establish that remote work effort how have you how's it been for you
0: you know they so they had the the luxury of working through a lot of this already with having the two studios like you mentioned uh but Early on, when I was talking to them, they said they had some difficulties with like, hey, this team runs it and the other studio supports and vice versa. And they've gotten completely away from that. It's just now we're all insomniacs, you know, and that's great. And the and, you know, the way that that COVID hits this industry, they were prepared for, but then learned a lot more and kind of, you know, have taken extra steps in the way that, you know, they're allowing remote work. So they learned over the last year and a half that it's that it works. And then, you know, Sony as a company's like, yeah, just keep doing it. Right. Like it's, it's been great. And, uh, it's up until COVID, I did not think I was capable of, of working full time from home, right. Cause right. it's really hard. Like I've got all my toys around, you know, I've got lots of things to distract me and it took effort, right. To make sure that I understood and, and put myself in a position to be productive and and set up, you know guidelines and things for myself to do that but once i learned that through there i was like okay i can do this now i want
2: to do it again and what's that going to look like
1: yeah what um uh, disregarding the insomniac side of it what is your personal journey been with uh with onboarding remotely and like just feeling have you actually flown up to, to see them and like no. meet the team directly? Or have you still, have you been remote through the entire process?
0: Surely remote right now. And there's, you know, the, obviously I want to get to both studios and see people, you know, I would love to at least once a year, visit both studios, hopefully a little more frequently than that. But the assumption is that this is all remote, right? And they're, and I'm not the only one, there's several and, and they, they are onboarding as fully remote people and, you know, intend to be that way. And it's uh The really nice thing is all the normal tools for, you know, like Zoom and things like that have been really good. They also make an effort to make sure that people are communicating and, you know, meeting each other. We've got a coffee thing where each week you get matched up with someone from the studio randomly to spend 30 minutes with and just have a coffee and chat. You know, things like that I think are great. And that's just like somebody probably thought to do this, you know, hey, here's a great way, you know, for us to kind of get to know each other. I think they used to be in person and now they just obviously moved it over into that world, so
1: good
2: it's 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 been really good
1: do you uh do you feel like you're able to break down some of those like social barriers to feel like you're part of the team and you're actually working with with people that you're surrounded by
0: i have already definitely felt that way that's Um, awesome i i don't feel like a remote worker i feel like just like everybody else and because right well right now everyone's a remote worker right or at least most are so Mm -hmm. whether or not they've had that background. You know, with being around each other physically, we're in a place where it's all happening this way, so that's made it easier for me. Had had it had this happened later when things are a little more back to normal, and I'm, you know, now the one that's not there, it might have been a bit different, but
2: it, so far it, it's fully embraced and it's been great.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a really so we're we are an external team, right? We we work all of our clients are not in our studio and we don't work in, on site with our clients uh, on a full-time basis. And so before COVID, we were already semi-external. Um, watching the way all the different companies have responded to COVID, it was it was a pretty huge cultural shift. Uh, and even still to this day, like everybody's done it a little bit differently and some teams are really easy to onboard with and immediately feel like we're all working together for this huge common goal. And other teams still have a lot of bullshit in the way, uh, (laughs) that we struggle to, to navigate through. Um, culture really does make a huge difference on that one. It's pretty fascinating to see so clearly now. Yeah.
0: It's great. So you guys, you aren't even with your team in LA anymore, right? So you, the book, your team is physically down there and you're up in Seattle area,
2: right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we, uh, we took the opportunity right at the dawn of COVID to sort of explore what it would be like to separate ourselves as well. Um, that was a super naive experiment, if you will, uh, just learning. I was, I was naive about the amount of compliance and administration work that it takes to actually have employees in different states. Um, and boy, do I, do I hate that subject now. Um, but we are all working remotely. We're not in the office. Uh, we're trying to open up our LA office again within the middle of August. But pending LA guidance, we're going to see how that all goes. Uh, LA's got a mass mandate indoors again. And so we're still trying to figure out the right path forward. Um, for us, we are working really well as a fully remote team. We're also remote from our clients. And so we've we've been able to navigate this with a pretty cool culture to keep us working together. We are excited to get back. Actually, we've done a lot of surveys. And everyone on our team is really excited to get back into the office and working to together again. And even like, I'm up here in Seattle, I super miss being around my team. Um, So our long term goal is that we're going to have our LA office be sort of a central hub and be the heart of our studio and then allow opportunities for people to travel and work remotely uh, where possible. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit difficult. You know, some of our clients and projects do require security that has to be in office. And um, others are a lot more free and let us uh, work in various remote environments. So. Well,
0: it's a smaller studio. You have you don't have the luxury of being a Sony company like I do where they already have a presence in 40 plus States. Right. So doing full remote work across the country would be a, you know, a big tax implication for you guys. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a nightmare. Um, every single news and it doesn't get easier. That's the other thing that's kind of frustrating is there's that like, I wish that it was one of those things where like, oh, if I do two states then it's not hard to do four states. Um, but no, every new state is just like a whole new chunk of work and compliance. And it's, um, you know, we, we're 18 people now um, and the, the goal ultimately is that one day I can get back to doing visual effects as well. And so there's really only gonna be two people that are full-time not billable artists. Mm. Um, meaning that I don't, I want us to not have a lot of overhead just to run the business. I want us to stay a lean, slim team focused on, on our craft. Yeah. Um, whereas I think for us to, like if, if I sat down and tried to come up with a game plan of like how to allow our employees to work in all 50 states, I would definitely have to hire someone else full-time to make <laughs> just that their full-time job. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not the fun part of, of the, the gig. Yeah. <laughs> But so, okay, let's, uh, um, you were teaching prior to this, uh, I was. and, and freelancing and doing a couple projects. How's, how's it been stepping back to production?
0: Yeah. Well, let, let me back up and talk about what my transition to full sale was like and kind of what my goals were. Um, cause yeah. you know, throughout most of my career, as you know, working for game companies, doing side projects is at best frowned upon at, in most cases was, you know, completely not okay. Right. And uh, so there was there was a bit of of me wanting to work on some various things and, you know, like have that entrepreneurial spirit kind of stoked for a bit. Um, So that was part of what I wanted to do. And at the time, uh, you know, VR was becoming in its own again. Uh, You know, the the Vi the original Vive was getting ready to release. And, you know, our buddies, Albert and Chance were, you know, getting a company together to, to work on some stuff. And and I was able to go down and, and do that as something that I worked on in addition to, to the teaching. And cause that was, right. you know, that scra- that itch I wanted to scratch. So coming down to full right. cell, which I was already here three times a year for very, you know, for hall of fame, for pack, for whatever. And I loved being down here. And for a long time, I knew I wanted to move back to Orlando. So it was the main thing was get to Orlando, be near full cell, and then also get to do this other stuff. And so I got down here and Uh, it was, it was, uh, busy and you know, it, it was my, in my head, it was going to be, Hey, teaching is going to take, you know, 30 hours a week or so. And, and then I'll have some extra time to do these other things, but the other things ended up taking a lot more time and teaching ended up taking more time. So it was more like 50 to 60 hours a week, just baseline. I was spending just to do the things that I was hoping to do. So it was a little stressful, uh, and You know, also, I care a lot about that game design program. So I was putting a lot into trying to help make it better and do what I could, you know, while I was there. Um, And so that's why I even moved into, you know, department chair position so I could help impact it a little bit more. And then was even moving toward being the director of the program. And that's when the esports stuff showed up. And that and for me, that was like a new that was very exciting. Right. That was, hey, I've always been a sports fan. And I grew up in Kentucky rooting for the Wildcats and now my school has an opportunity to finally have something to root for and that was very enticing and exciting to me so so across my four and a half years there it was a split almost two years two and a half years before and then uh uh, then you know the last couple of years really building that program but where I got to was you know, I spent a couple of years putting all the processes into place, learning what we needed to do as far as, you know, eligibility and education requirements and how to build a code of conduct for, you know, the school to use. Like all these big projects I had kind of got finished. And then while there's always more things to do, overall I felt like there was a lot of maintaining. And I'm not a maintainer. So so for me, I was like, I need problems to solve. And so that was and I that was when I really started to realize that where I was really, really having lots of problems to solve and excited about doing it was when I was full-time making games. So that was where that kind of itch came back to, to move back in that direction.
1: That's awesome. I think from my perspective, watching you and Albert and Chance go through that, there's um, there was a bit of this just pure excitement that all of us felt while you were finding a way to benefit and utilize the infrastructure that Full Sail has while still explore and push. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny because I think all of us have been, you know, we can all daydream about how amazing of an opportunity there is to partner with Full Sail and with recent graduates and like really benefit and, and uh, build like a, a mutual win-win with that school. Right. And yet not a lot of people have found ways to try it. And the fact that you guys did was, was really exciting to watch on the outside um, and then just watching you navigate from that to like very literally impacting the school in huge ways was really cool. It was um, it was genuinely exciting to go back to the school and see all the stuff that was directly tied to Jameson. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, it's that, that's so much better because of, of Jameson's work um, and and the team around Jameson, not to discredit right, anybody, sure. <laughs> but like to know that you were there having that much of an impact was really cool.
0: I appreciate that. I, I that was what I was hoping you know what I would be able to do is make an impact. And quite honestly, when I went there, I, I, I thought I would probably just be there. Like I thought that was what I was going to do. And um, I didn't think this itch to get back in full time was going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, it took almost five years, right? So it wasn't like it happened so immediately. What's that? How long were you there? Almost five years. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Like that, that feels yeah. wild to me,
1: but yeah. See, I, I taught as a lab instructor for one year and every month was like a time warp. And that one year went by so fast yeah. that I can see how like you would just almost blink and then five years is gone.
4: Yeah.
0: That's absolutely what happens. And the thing that I love the, the quick pace and the, cause I'm I'm very much someone who like, I don't want to do the same thing for a long time. So even though it was repetitive in a cycle, each cycle was different, right? So it's like every month it's new students or it's new athletes, you know, those kind of things was great. But the thing that I missed was the, the thing I love about game development is the overall cycle where that discovery and slow pace in the beginning and then we ramp up as we start to move into pre-production and, and, and then into production and then we push really hard. But there's always that next stage in sight where my brain's like, I just got to get to that goal and then now I can kind of reset and, and kind of do it again and I thrive in that and I really missed it.
1: Do you feel that that's that's kind of an addictive part of what we do? I think so. It, yeah. If if
0: you are if you do need that, it's it, I I realized being away from it how much I missed it and right. like I feel way better. Just like emotionally and mentally right now because I feel like I'm doing the thing that I that I should be doing. Right. It's it's a, it's a it's a really like I really enjoyed my time at Full Sail. Don't get me wrong; I love the things I was doing, but it felt different. It didn't scratch
2: the same itches, but it, it did allow me to do some things I always wanted to do.
3: Yeah, that's
1: I. I've, one of the I guess I've been doing this now for long enough, and I've I've certainly worked with enough teams and developer types now that I've I've had this discussion with actually a couple of my team members. Um, we're starting to see that there are almost two different types of game developers, and there's a really basic underlying psychological difference. There's people that are able to take something from nothing and build it, build Mm -hmm. it from scratch, and go through all of the suffering of, and just like bleeding of (laughs) trying to stand something up enough to convince other people to have them come in and help. Right. And at the end, you get something brand new. And then there's a whole different type of people that are still equally, if not more valuable, where they take something that's already there and they sustain it. And right now the games industry is in this fascinating state where most of the, uh, the revenue that's being generated by games, they're coming from live services these yes. days. And yep. so there's this whole huge need for developers that are interested in being in that space of like, here's a game that already exists, it already functions, it's already successful, we need you to go and improve upon it and make more amazing content so that we keep player bases and we grow. Yeah. Um, And that is an entirely different puzzle and beast and conversation and and emotional experience to go through. Because I think when you're starting from nothing, a big part of it is this huge up and down of like, you start off a task and you're a little bit excited about it, and then you start to fail and you get really depressed. (laughs) Right. And you start to doubt yourself and you, and then there's like this challenge of like, fuck, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm like, I'm going to dive in and you just grind against it. And then at some point you succeed and you get this crazy high up at the top and then you move on and you start again. Yeah. And a lot of that doesn't really exist in the live service support part of career path.
2: Yeah. It's man,
0: that's, that's a really good point. Cause when I first started, uh, thinking about getting back in the games full time. I was talking with my buddy who's a game director at Scopely on a mobile title, uh Marvel Strike Force. And it's a game I play the game every day. Like it's uh, it's my like you know that's that's my my daily addiction game. And so I was interested in that regard. Like I love this game. I played a lot, but designing for that game is something that I I've never done and I was intrigued by it but also realized what you just said, one, it's maintenance, which is the thing that, that I don't care so much for, but also it would have been constant stress for me because I don't have any, like most of my experience wouldn't apply to that kind of game. Cause I'm used to making right. big open world story-based
2: experiences. And that's not like people that play those games. That is the last thing they care about.
1: Right. Right. There's a question of, uh, with live services, would you say you reach those highs more or less often?
2: <laughs> In my
1: experience, it's it's been interesting. I would say that live service games are actually a little bit more fun and enjoyable to support and work on because what you're doing is something that's sustainable and you're you're taking something that, like, you've already got an image of what good looks like and you're figuring out how to layer more improvements onto it and how to perfect it a little bit more and take feedback. And it's a little bit more of like... A, Massaging into shape from something that already exists, whereas when you start on a new product there's there's these crazy highs and crashes. Um, mm. it's It's a pretty big emotional roller coaster, and so they're they are very different experiences. I, like typically live service games are a little bit less romanticized, romantic or like I, I don't feel as much of a celebrity from it because it's a game that already exists mm. um, but I think in whole, if you actually take a look at, like, your overall macro experience working on them, they're a lot more of an enjoyable and pleasant process and project.
0: It's, it's more methodical and more, like, science-based when you're, when you're yeah. doing a game like that, right? Where the, You also the, get to
1: get feedback from your, yes. from your players.
0: And not only that, but that you can do it, you can roll out updates to half of your players... Like, you can roll, like, an A, B update just, to half, right? And, yeah. like, eat and see how it goes with this half of people and the other half of people. And, I, and yeah. I didn't realize how prevalent that was until I found out that the offers I was getting from the game were different than other types of players. Because, like, my buddy was like, hey, there's going to be this offer for number of shards for this character for this dollar amount, and the one that I got was different. And it has right. to be because they know that I'm somebody who will pay for convenience. So I'm probably in that, in that area. Like I don't spend hundreds or thousands of dollars, right? Like nothing quite like that, but you know, I will easily sure. spend 50 bucks on something. If I feel like it'll give me a week of enjoyment, you know, like, so, and save me, you know, several hours of time. So that's uh so they got me every now and then, I think.
1: I don't know if we want to go down a conversation about cynicism, but we'll dabble here. Um, those uh, That type of targeted advertising also happens based off your demographic that they know about. Mm. And so you can actually end up with uh, being in different buckets where they know they can milk you for different value ads than everybody else. And so you might actually have, you might just be in a more expensive bucket because they know you make a decent income, uh, you're spending habits on on fun are higher than other right. people and so for you they're going to charge you three dollars and for someone else they would charge a dollar fifty right um and the, uh, like-, <laughs> the, like intelligent marketing component of live service games is getting a little bit insane
0: yeah i mean especially with how much is how much our devices are listening to us and monitoring what we're doing and we just always just hit yes to that terms of uh terms of service right yeah. Yeah. It's like we I, I, we don't read those things. Come on, like if we read those, we wouldn't you play anything. Also, don't have a choice. Yeah, it's not like you can right. negotiate it. Right. Yeah. Oh man, I, we've gotten well, to a point I'll... where we just we we blind ourselves to that, right? Because yeah. we we need and want the experience it provides, and it hasn't really hurt us yet. You know what I mean? Like there's not been much that's been like, oh, I shouldn't have agreed to that. So it's yeah. coming. <laughs>
1: Haven't had that burn yet.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: um, were you nervous for your first day?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, only because, well, okay. Yes and no. So, the the thing that was awesome was they overnighted all of my gear. So the on my first day was a tech setup day, and my stuff arrived at eight a.m., which was amazing. So I was like, they they expected it to be a wash, but I was good to go by like noon my time, which was nine a.m. there. So like they're all coming so, into work at 9 a.m. And on the West Coast, and I'm like, let's go, what are we doing? You know? Um, so that was good. Um, and it was really smooth and seamless, like as far as like what they sent me, getting everything hooked up and all that great stuff. So that was good. Uh, but and the other good thing was that, you know, I I have friends there. You know, uh Sean McCabe has been a friend for 20 years, and you know, he's their their chief technology officer, and then Several people that I worked with at Volition are there now too. One of their lead VFX artists, a project manager, some of, and one of the audio directors that I worked with at Oddworld back in the day. So I had people I felt comfortable being like, "Hey, what do I need to know about this? Who should I talk to about that?" That that's that's really great for me, um, because I care a lot about not looking like an idiot. You know what I mean? And like I, you know, I know I'm not an idiot, but I don't want to look like one and so that that bothers me so uh you know having people to at least run things by was really nice the best part though was like i said with the onboarding and stuff they were very very welcoming and here's all the information you need here's who you should talk to there was meet and greets digitally with various teams and groups and leadership so i got to kind of meet and spend some time just me and a couple of other people new hires with with like you know ted price we spent a half hour just chatting Uh, So like that, that was really nice uh, to be able to like have those moments to kind of ask whatever was on my mind and and feel comfortable. So that, that was good. And I, the, the tools I was comfortable, it's a proprietary engine, but was similar enough to things I've used that it was pretty easy to pick some things up. So that, that's been really good as well.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. I, I remember talking to a couple people actually during hall of fame, um, you know, like, Hall of Famer or those big peer events at Full Sail are always interesting because there's there's some people that go around and make it like an ego measuring contest a little bit. Um, yep. I remember <laughs> talking to one guy and just asking him if he was if he was nervous when he starts new opportunities and like big new things. And and he said no. And I kind of I, I that stuck with me for a little bit. And I was just thinking about that, and I was like, you know, I I feel like if he actually wasn't nervous, then it means he doesn't care. Mm. Um I think that. I'm I'm highly suspicious of people that don't still get nervous about new opportunities because either they don't care or they're that arrogant. But like people that are actually gonna go in and apply themselves like they care, right? Which in anything that you care about, you're gonna be a little bit nervous. Yeah. Because absolutely. it's a little bit unknown and it's exciting. And to me, like the excitement and the the nerves, they go hand in hand. They they do.
0: Now, there's 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 some things to consider with this, right? Yeah. So I, I I've, I've been learning a lot about myself recently. Um, and so I've always known that I have imposter syndrome, right? So, so for me, that's always been a big driving thing for me because I'm like, I constantly doubt myself enough that I push myself harder to be better. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that part you, you could take it one of two ways, right? Like you could be someone that that bothers you and it brings you down, or you could be someone that finds a way to utilize that, for me, it's more of like a, I'm scared to death that I'm not going to do a good enough job. So I, I put in extra effort, as much effort as I can. Like I worked 13 hours my first day, right? Because I wanted to make sure that I was available, you know, the stuff arrived early and then I wanted to be available late for the people that were on the West coast that might need to talk to me. Right. I've gotten better. I'm actually doing normal work hours now, yeah, <laughs> but, <yeah.
1: laughs> but, but still like the the first day is the day to do that. Right.
0: It is right. And and it wasn't because I felt like I need to look like I'm doing something. It was more of like, I just want to make sure I can learn as much as I can. I'm, I'm as ready to go as soon as possible. You know, those kind of things. I want to be effective. I want to be valuable. And that that's what matters to me. And especially being someone who's remote that can't walk over to someone's desk and say, Hey man, how do, how do I do this thing? Or, Hey, nice to meet you. You know, the, I don't have that stuff. So I have to go out of my way to
2: make sure that, that I'm, as ready as possible at all times. At least for me, I need that, right?
1: I'm always afraid of not being as good of a team member as they deserve, Mm. which is a weird way to phrase it as well. Um, You said something, I think that was, that was really interesting. That's that struck with me because it's, uh, it's tapping into a, a stream of thought that I'm just noticing about, the rest of the world. And you said um, you're not doing it so that people see that you're working late. Um, How important do you feel over your career that publicizing your work and taking that minute to like to do the PR portion of your job uh, has been to your own successes?
0: So early in my career, I cared about that a lot. Um, and, And I think, and I still advise that people or at least uh, aware of that early in their career, because the way that you stand out is by, you know, being available, being present, right? What I'm not suggesting is that someone's working 12 hours a day, every day, anything like that, right? But you have to be a little strategic, right? You have to make sure that, so for instance, in my case, that first day when I'm up at 8 a.m. getting stuff set up, no one's working, right? Like at 8 a.m., 8 to 9, maybe 10, even on the East Coast. And then by the time I'm done at like 8 p.m., it's only 5 p.m. on the West Coast. So that's not a visibility thing at that point, right? Mm-hmm. But that's also me being 20 years into my career and having learned what's important to me and what I've learned is important to the team that is around me and, and how I need to be available for them and those kind of things. Early in your career, you don't know that. You don't, you don't, you don't yet know your value. You don't yet know what people expect of you. And that stuff changes everywhere you are in every project that you're on. So I think there's a lot of learning there where I would err on the side of being a little more present, being a little more available. And honestly, early in your career, you probably don't have a lot of other things that are taking your attention, right? You're probably enjoying the thing you're doing and it's the thing that you, you want to do anyway. And that was early in my career. Also the case where I was like, I don't have, I'm going to go home and do what, like, let me, I'll stay here a couple of extra hours and get some more work done because I'm learning and I feel like I'm contributing more. I want to be valuable. And that's, that's a way for me to do that. It's tough though. It's really tough to find, to, to, to do that without feeling like I'm burning myself out or I'm doing more right. than is expected. Like that's a, it's a fine line for sure.
1: How much, uh, and, and it, this is, this is a lot less important for somebody with your experience and your resume and your your background, frankly, um, for new people in the industry, how much uh, how important is it from your perspective uh, to do self promotion, even once you've got a full time job? And I let me actually give more background on that and where where my mind's at when I'm asking that. Um, I've worked at quite a few studios where. There's the artists and the the developers that are just sitting there doing the hard work, getting things done, um, playing important but quiet roles. And then there's the developers that are doing something and then they always take the time to wrap it up in a pretty little package and make it known that they did it Uh, and or publicize or always share work on Twitter and be super involved in in the communities. How important is that in reality to uh excel at your career from your perspective
0: oh man um that is a a big question and and it's a different question because you know when i started and when this would have mattered it wasn't as important right i i feel like what you know when i was coming up it was about the people around me the thing that i'm doing today um we can't talk about it anyway you know it was all it was all internal to studio performance Um, the thing that's always been important is networking, right? And I think that's the piece that you get out of that kind of stuff regardless is when I'm out there promoting myself and showing the things that I'm working on, talking about it, commenting on the things that other people are doing that are relevant, I'm building a network of people that I can learn from, that I can communicate with, that, you know, like, that network is really important. And it took me probably 10 years to understand how, how important just a little bit of that can be because there were times where I just like someone would friend me on Twitter. I would see their stuff. I would occasionally, occasionally comment on each other's stuff, whatever, just very, very casual, occasional conversation. But then I would have a position open up and I would think of them. Like it would just take, it just takes a little bit, a little bit, to, to, to put that in there because that's more information than I have from a resume, right? Like uh, somebody I don't know at all. So that, that kind of stuff uh, can matter a lot. I think.
1: What does networking mean for you now?
2: Uh, It means now the thing I
0: tell everyone, and that's just making friendships. Like I, I don't, I never ever network for the sake of, of networking anymore like or you know networking like i'm not looking to get anything out of it and and i would and i highly highly advise that perspective to anyone that's out there trying to to network is just get to know people that's that's all you're trying to do and the best way to do that is just to ask questions about themselves because everybody wants to talk about themselves everybody knows how to talk about themselves so I always tell people if you, re- if you really just want to get to know someone, ask them what they're playing. And that's, that's uh, that will, it, you'll either get an answer or you'll get a, Oh man. Haven't been able to play anything in a while or, you know, or I wish I could play more. And then you can be like, Oh, well, when you get some time, you should try this. Like it's everybody wants, everybody in games wants to talk about games. We love right. it.
1: Right. What about you? Yeah. You definitely have that common ground with, uh, with people in this industry that you're networking with. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it, is that what it's like for you or, or do you see that? Ne- well, you, you're in a different place networking wise, right? Like you're building a business that makes it a little different. Or does yeah, it, I
1: mean, I have to, I have a component of a sales edge, I suppose. Um, right. Which, uh, which I hate. I actually, I feel super dirty if I'm, it's funny actually, cause I do a lot of sales calls, I take a lot of, of calls and the conversations lead me to feel one of two ways. And one of them is that like, I'm really excited and I felt a lot of just positive energy, happiness, pride coming from that conversation. And the other way is that I can feel dirty. Yeah. Yep. And the, uh, the difference for me is I've made my career out of finding enjoyable ways for me to be helpful for other people. Um, and I think that's the best angle that I can approach with, with selling our studio as well is like, people are reaching out to me because they've got a problem. I really enjoy solving a lot of those problems. Um, I'm going to see if I can help them. And so what I tend to do is I try to just take a tone. And it's, this is important for me emotionally as well, because I don't want to be a sleazy car salesman. I'm not doing this to get rich. Otherwise, there's probably easier ways that involve a lot <laughs> less work. Um, I'm doing this because we really enjoy our craft, and so I always try to hop into those conversations with understanding the problem that they're facing, and seeing if there's a way that I can help them. Um, whether it's it's myself or our studio and our artists directly, or if I can just help guide them, uh, if I can offer referrals, anything. And that's that's like those are our sales calls. Um, for me, networking is is largely the same. I. I think a lot of people do it wrong in that they go into it with this anticipation that I'm going to get something out of it. Yeah. Um, whereas the part that I really enjoy in quote unquote networking is going and understanding people's stories um, and then seeing little ways that I can be helpful. I, I kind of like, I have this overall life perspective that I want to, it's funny, this came out of playing death matches um, at Naughty Dog. I, I was joking around one day, I was playing Call of Duty with our programmer. and. Uh, he was terrible and I made fun of him and I was like, dude, your team would have been better off if you hadn't even existed because your, uh, your kill versus death ratio was so poor, like they would have been better off if you weren't playing. Um, and he and I had a really joking, like a good, positive, happy relationship, but he kind of just told me to fuck off. And, uh, (laughs) um, but my, my life philosophy is kind of the same way. Like I want to contribute more than I take. Um, and I feel like if I'm doing that, if I'm going around and making a positive impact on people in any way that I can, uh, then that's a good thing and that's a good life. Um, and so I kind of try to take meeting strangers with that same statement in mind.
2: Yeah. I
0: love that. All right. I I'm going to take this third shot I need to take real quick.
4: Yes, do
3: it.
2: And then I'm going to tell you what's important to me in networking. You ready for
3: this? Can't wait. All right, so not just in networking, but in life, but
0: specifically in networking, what matters to me is making connections. And, and I don't mean like, hey, here's my business card, here's yours, right? It, it's more of I, like, I, like, liter- you know? I, I want to get to know somebody. I want to, like, I love, I, I'm, I'm someone who's very quick to consider someone a friend, Right. Like I, I, and I want those kind of relationships. I may not talk to you for a year. or It may be, you know, what whatever that is, but I'm someone who the I, I think about that person. I I I can't wait for that next conversation. And also you know this because you've had it happen. Out of nowhere, I'll just be like, hey man, been thinking about you. Like that that stuff happens to me all the time where I like I just want to keep those connections going. And that's just something that's like really important to me, like as a person, but also, you know, when you think about networking, I I have the same approach. I'm just trying to make connections with people, trying to get to know people. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's done well for me in, in that way. It's, it's never been
2: calculated though. You know what I mean? It's just part of who I am. Yeah. So I'm curious for you. What,
0: what do you want out of like, and, I, and you just talked about making, you know, making the, you want to, you want to give. Right. And I love that. I love that thought, but you all, there's also something you gain, right? Is there, what, yeah, what do you, what do you want? Like, what do you look for? What do you hope for?
1: I mean, I, I think you're, I had two quick thoughts while you were talking. And one of them was just the anecdotal that, um, one of our mutual friends reached out and said exactly that today. Like, I just, I haven't talked to this guy in, a year and he just sent me a text today and said hey just thinking about you hope you're doing well uh hit me up sometime let's let's chat right and and it made a huge impact on me um the past few days have been a, a bit of a whirlwind for me and just like that brief reprieve out of nowhere it was like a nice positive interjection right um, that's good the other thought that i had is uh my statement of of giving there's almost a degree of arrogance to that isn't there Like that, I'm saying that I've got something worth giving. Uh,
0: I I didn't think that at all for what that's
2: worth.
1: Like I think I I think we all have something to give, right? Combating that (laughs) that ego check in there, right? The I think the part that I get is um, is that when you do, maybe it's the the fact that like when you give in that way, you break past barriers and you both get to learn from each other and build an actual connection. I think a lot of people, especially when you live in a bigger city. Um, a lot of people have a wall up to prevent people from taking anything because everyone's trying to take and, and yeah. get from you, right? In various capacities. And so when you give first, that barrier comes down and then you do get to just learn. Uh, I I love seeing things from other people's perspectives. Um, outside of work, that's what I super enjoy. Those are the types of, of conversations and podcasts and movies that I and books that I, I love to to consume, which just like things that sort of bend my perspective and my assumptions a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to networking for work, what I love is that everybody's got a little bit of a different experience. Our tools and our industry is so not standardized.
0: Not, a, not even our, solving... our words aren't even standardized. So we call things yeah. different things at different places.
1: <laughs> yeah. And everybody's solving puzzles similar puzzles in totally different, unique way. And there's no right answer. There's a lot of wrong answers. And, and <laughs> I often find that I'm doing the wrong answers by talking to other people and learning from other people. Um, and so it's, I think there's, this, uh, there's a hunger that, that goes into being a good developer um, that you're always looking for the next puzzle and the next cool solution. And when yeah. you hear someone else providing a different solution, you're excited to dive in.
0: You know, I think that's something that, at least in my experience, is pretty unique to our industry is how freely people want to talk about their processes and how they did something and how they solved a problem. Like, obviously, we can't talk about proprietary things or very specific things about our work, but you're right. They're so similar and we're solving the same problems that we at least want to know, like, hey, this thing I did, did you do it anything like this or I've got this problem? Would you solve it anything like this or how would you solve it because i don't know how like right. our our industry especially like at, at game dev meetups gdc things like that people love talking about this stuff and it's so good because so many industries are very very you know close to the chest with with how they do things
1: right. i think it's because we're also we tend to pour a lot of ourselves into it yeah and so it's a big part of us and so of course we want to share it that that problem is actually the exact story of of how RealtimeVFX.com, like our, our online community for real time VFX, uh, came to be, and then the VFX bootcamp and everything else that's kind of ensued out of it. Where um, I was actually at a at a bar in Woodland Hills with a couple other VFX artists, and we were asking each other semi work related questions about like how would you solve this, how would you solve this. And none of us could understand what we were saying. Um, and we were getting frustrated because like the answers that I was getting didn't make sense to me with the way that I use the phrase emitter and spawner and particle huh. and, and fields. Uh, and the um, the other people were struggling with what I was saying because I used those phrases in different ways. And so we finally, after like a drunken hour of us getting pissed at each other and just drinking more, Realized that we were all basically saying roughly the same thing. we were just using the wrong words because everybody has localized descriptions. Um, and so we we just shifted our conversation to like how awful it is that we communicate so rarely that we don't even know how to translate between our languages. Um, and so we basically decided to take off and uh, i I created the the forum online and we stepped away and we, we all banded together to form the VFX camp at GDC. Uh, we made a Facebook group and like, and the, all of the efforts there were just like, can we just make a place for us to talk? I don't know what else will come out of it, but if we just start talking and sharing, we're all going to benefit from it. We're all going to grow from it. So yeah. let's, let's at least do that.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a question in chat that I think you answered a bit of it there, but Asking if Beyond effects is the creator of real-time FX website, you did the the website first, yeah,
1: yeah, I actually um um when I first registered the business of Beyond effects, uh, the intention was to create educational resources. Um, and as a part of that, I was like i was I actually built out a really cool teaching video player, and that's a, a totally different story. but I was starting to build <laughs> tutorials and content and like resources. And I realized that I needed a community to, I needed a place to discuss it. And then I went and had that that evening hanging out with DJ and a couple other VFX artists. And all of my attention went to focusing on just launching the forum. And so we created the forum. Gotcha. And then I got busy and I started taking more actual VFX jobs freelancing. And immediately it became clear that there's an opportunity for us to bring in a team. And then uh, we ended up basically opening our studio A year later Um, and still to this day I can't scrap up the time to enough free time to to step back to the educational side as much (laughs) as I would like we are trying very hard to change that in the next year Um, but yeah we've we've basically been a full-time development studio working with with developers around the world ever since that moment
0: yeah and I want to touch a little bit on something that you and I've talked about in the past it, which, which is a bit of a struggle for you, which is how, how do you create more time for yourself when you're the face of the company and people want to work with you, right? Like, you, you know, that's ha- that has to be tough.
1: I've got a... Uh, so I'm about to be a dad. Right. Um, <laughs> that's... Uh, people keep asking me if I'm afraid of... Or if I'm nervous about, about being a dad. And I'm not... In any of the those ways, I think that the only thing that I'm afraid of is not having enough energy to be be present, um, and I'm really struggling with that across. Like, forget parenthood for a second, even just with the business. What I keep finding, and I think like I think I've got a couple of my my team members here with me. Um, I still love VFX. I still I am a developer. I love projects. I love getting my hands dirty. I'm getting pulled in enough different directions that i can't ever be the one with my hands in the dirt yeah uh and so i just have to take a step back and i'm i'm just delegating i'm sending basically i spend my day sending emails delegating and offering like fast conversations of guidance and it's so unfulfilling to me um and so i am super struggling around that and i like that's just a mental shift that i think you have to everybody at some point in their career when they make the jump from being the doer to the manager has to go through a little bit, right? There's, yep. um, there's a great book called The, the Leadership Pipeline
4: Oh, I haven't that seen really that focuses
1: yet. on the psychology of like when you start your career, you start off where your focus is just doing a great job at your skills and your sense of reward and your sense of pride comes from the work that you do. And so you're basically managing self and then, at some point, it switches where you get promoted up to a manager. Um, it switches to you have to get your pride from the work that your team creates, and your managers or like the people around you have to reward you for being for for the work that your team creates. and it's no longer about your own work. Um, I think that because I've built my career off of those little, puzzles that that emotional curve of the highs and lows of of like being faced with a difficult problem and then solving it and then uh feeling that mm-hmm. i think that i'm really struggling emotionally on a, like on a self level to get past that phase of of managing myself to knowing that i'm doing a good job managing my team
0: man that's yeah <laughs> i i echo everything you just said it's uh, and it's part of why you know, for me, in my last, you know, several years at Volition, it was at the director level where I was no longer, was especially when I was a director the last few years, there was no more hands-on, right. and I I missed it a lot. And and that was a, a big part of why, you know, I, I wanted to to look at doing something different. And it's really strange, just to give a little personal insight into this, where you, as a designer, when you get to that level where you're, in charge of an entire project, the design of an entire project, and you're not doing anything like that, and you miss it how how do you fix that without feeling like you're taking a step down? you know what i mean and and that's that's a tough spot to be in. and so for me, I decided to change up what I was doing a bit so I could kind of you know reorganize and then got in a position now where i've I've come in as specifically a high level content creator, right? like I there's different tracks. There's the management track. There's, you know, the right. individual contributor, all that. And luckily I'm in a place that, that recognizes. Cause like when I was at EA, it was, if you want to make more money and get better and, you know, get promoted, you've got to move into leadership. Yep. like, well, but I'm like, yes, I, I understand that I'm a good leader, but I'm also really good at making things. And I like that a lot. Why can't I just continue to get better at that and and be rewarded for it? Like that's not how it works. Luckily, it's that's wild.
1: skill sets, which has always struck me as weird. That yeah. we, our industry does traditionally promote really, really good developers out of what they're really, really good at and yep. into leadership roles where they're usually not good.
0: Yeah. Now I get I get why right because and, and the thing that that at least allowed me to be. To to continue to excel in that system was that, you know, one, one I, I, I'm a good leader. I try to be, I, I care a lot about it, but my impact across the project can be broader if I'm helping others do better work. And that, that was the thing that I had to think a lot about and focus on. And I had to really kind of push when I was on the Godfather two, I was the lead mission designer. It was my first like real lead uh, role. And I was building the first and last mission of the game, which were two of the most important. So I was doing both and I was killing myself, right? Because I, I didn't yet know that it's almost impossible to do both and, and have any kind of life outside of that. So you you're forced to choose for the most part. And wh- what's that choice? How do you make that choice?
1: And yeah, I think that's, that's actually an unsolved problem in development as well because when you become a manager and you stop keeping your hands in the dirt you've got an expiration date you're really good at that role like what you just described is you are really good at that role because one you're a good leader but two also because you know your shit because you know the rest of the pipeline for all of your designers
0: you can have intelligent conversations right
1: yeah (laughs) and there's an expiration date on that, right? Like you, you can only be gone from actually designing for so long when you, until you no longer actually know what you're doing and how to design.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um hundred (laughs) percent. And, and you're, you are, man, that that's something that I struggled a lot with too, especially at my, the end of my time at Volition was feeling like, what is my career trajectory? You know, like, I can keep doing like at Volition. I had reached the highest level of promotion. You know, was a principal designer. The next thing was studio level, which wasn't, you know, one wasn't, I wasn't interested in. And two, those positions don't come around very often. So it's like, well, then what? Like I, I got to a point where I was kind of maintaining and that's why after eight years, I decided I needed to make some kind of change. And the nice thing was it was a bit of a reboot for me and, you know, I had to kind of go down into like, I'm going to teach low level stuff So I've got to refresh and kind of get familiar with that stuff again, which refreshed my skill set, got me in a position where I was ready and then enter the industry again. And for me, an ideal situation and we'll go from there.
2: You know,
1: you've got, you've got kind of a beautiful rebirth in your story here, which I love.
2: I love it too. And I
0: I said this on a, I was telling, talking to a buddy about this the other day. I feel like, I want my next tattoo to be a Phoenix because I feel like there's a bit of kind of a rebirth and I'm kind of re, you know, rejoining <laughs> like my old self and, you know, kind of rebirthing again. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking into that. I'm thinking about it.
4: Yeah.
1: I, I like it. I mean, I, our industry still has a pretty high degree of burnout, right? It does. And there's a, a whole variety of reasons, um, that are valid. Uh, But one of them that I always find a little bit sad is people that, um, they lose a bit of their spark and they don't do anything to get it back. They just step away. Um, and I don't feel that it's sad in, in their own personal journey. I usually see them go off and do all kinds of other cool life experiences, but I'm sad for the industry when they, when there's somebody that like was a beautiful contributor to our industry that steps away because they themselves lost the spark and uh so in your case the fact that you were able to find a really cool way to step back and reground yourself and rebuild that spark and get going again um is i find that super inspiring
0: i appreciate that there there was definitely a a time there where i didn't know what how was i going to continue to
2: excel in this industry and I'm, I feel super fortunate that I, that I kind of figured that part out.
4: Yeah.
2: So I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So I, one, I want to touch
0: real quickly on the, on the dad part of this, right? As a dad, myself. Yeah. That. so when my son was born, I was in the middle of finishing odd world strangers wrath. I was just a few months at the company. I, I joined in January. He was born in May. So I was four months in. We were crunching. Oh. We were like, it was like a really rough. And me, that was my first, like, it was the first huge project that I was on. And I was like really trying to make a name for myself and surrounded with people that were so much better at, this, at doing this than I was at the time. I, I learned so much. But man, there's a different gear that kicks in there's a there's a different set of energy and skills and desires that come in whenever you got a human that's relying on you. So, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Part. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm I'm telling you there's some there's something there that's going to kick in that's going to make you feel better.
1: Yeah. I'm excited about it to be honest. I mean, I I think I've spent the last year um not just because I've got a, a baby coming, but like for a, a wealth of reasons. At Beyond Effects, we've we've spent a lot of time focusing on who we are as a team and the way that we operate as a team. And even yesterday, I had a couple of moments in some meetings where I was just sort of taken aback, thinking like, fuck, I've, I've actually got a good support structure here with me. I'm actually comfortable. Frankly, I'm excited to see what happens when I get out of their way um and i think that the next month is going to be kind of a grand experiment yeah to see you know everything's going to be fine as far as as the actual success and stability of the business i'm not concerned about that in any way because we have busted our asses to make sure that's all fine um but just in the little basic ways that like i do things now i'm not going to be there and i'm excited for the rest of the team to fill in those gaps Yeah. And to learn from them uh, because they're going to be able to do it better than I did. And uh, so, yeah, I think the I'm going to try to take a month off. Um, There are a couple things that might pop up and um, and then I'm going to check back in and see how bad the fires are. We actually um, we were able to put together a really great parental leave package, uh, both with the state of California and uh, for ourselves, essentially. And so. Yeah. Somewhere over the next year, I get to take eight weeks off, nice. uh, which I'm not really, that's selfish of me to have instated that for me. But also we do have another, uh, artist that just <laughs> had a baby and I'm really proud that we're able to offer him the ability to step away and take his time too. So, yeah,
0: dude, necessity brings about innovation, right? So don't, yeah. don't ever feel bad about doing something because it needs to be done for whatever reason, right? It's a good thing regardless. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Definitely. Somebody once told me something that has stuck with me about my, my thinking about my value to a position and to a company. And he said in every position that he is in, he strives to become irrelevant. Right. And what he meant by that was right. put himself in a position where he can leave that position and they will work fine without him, which means he could move up and it would not hinder the people that were below and i think that's while while his was a very you know uh trajectory focused thought process right i think it's it's really valuable to think about cuz it's you never want to be someone who is if if i got hit by a bus everything falls apart right and and you, i think it's really important that we keep that in mind and that we're never that person and and i think you you've now got a an interesting position right now where you're you've been that guy, right? Like you've been the person for quite a while now that you're who they want to talk to, right? Like you're who the people are coming to the company for. And you're in a position now where you're going to step away and
2: find out (laughs) how well they work without you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, cool experiment. I'm, I'm legitimately excited about it. And, you know, we've done, like I said we've done a lot of work to make sure that all the safety nets in place all of like we're, we're fully booked uh, our team is up and running with great relationships with all of our, our uh, clients and, and teams and uh, everyone's got a great trajectory and clear path forward and so it's a, it's a good time for me to step back and watch and see how people fill in the gaps um, oh man I love seeing Will's name pop up good to me see you buddy too. <laughs> um I assume that that quote came from Grant, right? Nope. No. It didn't? They did not. Oh, that's a, that's but I can see it being a Grant quote. quote. <laughs> um, Grant and I spoke quite a bit about that when he was stepping away from the Fortnite team as well and uh you know, he and I have had a couple conversations about um, about my expression of how like I really miss doing effects work. Mm. Um, and I think one of the goals here is that if I can free up time, then I can get back to diving in in ways that benefit the rest of my team around craft. Um, we're actually starting to push on a couple really cool projects that, uh, and that's kind of what I was mentioning in the when we very first hopped on this call, we're actually starting to build out our own internal game and project. Uh, just like a five to 10 minute playable experience that we can actually teach in it. Um, one of the biggest pains in the ass that I've I've run into um, that does tie to some of my cynicism around that PR question and subject uh, is that we can't show most of our work. And even when I'm finally able to even say, yes, we're working on this, we can't show our work. We can't right. show breakdowns. We can't show off all the really cool things that my team is doing. And one of my biggest regrets is that I can't I haven't found great ways to show the world how awesome my team actually is. I really want for all of our artists to feel like celebrities because they deserve it. Like the work that they're doing is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and so we're finally able, you know, businesses is, we've been doing this for five years and we know what we're doing enough that it's no longer consuming all of our energy to do that. And we want to trim off a portion of it to focus on like, how do we do a better job showing the world how good we are? Mm. Um, and, and actually more important than that statement is how do we do a better job teaching people how to be good effects artists? Uh, Cause there are nowhere near enough of us and it's a painful thing for the entire industry.
0: There aren't you're right. Like it's uh, it's good and bad. It it's great for you and bad for you. Right. And do you guys do much, um, entry level and like teaching there? Like, or, or is that what you mean? You're trying to, to set up a bit for
1: my goal is to launch an apprenticeship program, uh, to help recent graduates that, cause there's no schools in the country that really teach VFX enough to, to start production
3: Yeah, right out the door.
1: Um, and so we're trying to build a paid apprenticeship program for probably a month where uh, we bring in a handful of, of people that we've interviewed that we've selected, uh, pay them to go through this apprenticeship, and then on the other side of it, the ones that are doing a good job and want to join our team can um, through that, there's a lot of other secondary pieces of, of opportunities for us to actually just like share tutorials and classes and content. Uh, but right now, what we're the core of what we're focusing on is can we actually create an environment where we can actually teach? And the reason that we're building out our own game is because we, um, we want to teach in a production environment. You know, I think when you're going through school, like I can teach you how to use the tools, but use, that still doesn't really teach you how to use Perforce and how to work in a development right. environment with designers and a level um, with the animations and everything else. And so, if we can actually get like a five to 10 minute playable experience with all these cool opportunities for VFX, and then have those apprentices go through and create all the effects for that experience, hook them up, work with the designers, um, check them into Perforce break the builds, etc., then <laughs> on the other side of that, I'm gonna sit back and go like, I can definitely throw you onto a client project and know you're gonna do a good job.
0: Interesting. So so it sounds like this though would be a scenario where the person already has a skill set and you're giving them the opportunity to uh you're not like teaching them from ground zero, right? Like it's someone that that knows and feels like they have a, a grasp to enter the workforce. You're testing them out, giving them an opportunity to prove themselves and then seeing where it goes from there, yeah.
1: Yeah, we keep turning down a lot of juniors because they've dabbled, but don't have enough experience for me to confidently throw them into a client project, especially while we're remote. The issue is that like, if you're working on and in a client's engine and and, uh, a development environment, you can end up in so much trouble And you won't know the questions to ask, right? There's a lot of like, you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. in that, in that scenario. Um, And so we've just taken the stance of, look, we, you're a little bit too junior. We can't bring you in because we don't have the mentorship structure to oversee you again, especially while we're remote, nobody's watching over your shoulder. Um, And so the hope here is that we can take those recent graduates from a school like Nomen or Full Sail or DigiPen um, that are, proficient at 3d but have dabbled in visual effects but know they want to get into vfx and we can actually create a sort of accelerated shotgun blast of a training program that gets them to where they need to be to be good qualified junior candidates
0: okay i like it well i mean it's good for for multiple reasons right like you get to one help kind of give people an avenue to test out their their skills and that kind of stuff but also it can help you find some great talent. You know, that's great. I
1: like it. It's so, a huge win-win opportunity. So
0: I want to talk to you some more offline about this, but the thing you <laughs> said before that, that really is, is sticking in my brain. And I feel like we need to have a talk with some people at full sell about is that there's no real program for this. And you've mentioned that to me before, and it's been in my back of my mind for a while. I feel like there's something that, that needs to happen there, right? Like because there's so much VFX work out there and people get so like, I remember when I was back on Godfather, there was like, like, this guy's really great at making fire. So we need to make him make all of our fire. This, there was like this, even like really deep down specialization that was happening and just not that many people doing these things.
1: Absolutely. The, the two reasons. So I, I, I have this conversation with a lot of schools um, because a lot of people at universities and, uh, uh tr- institutions are, are very interested in it. The two issues that they always run into is, uh, first and foremost, there's nobody to teach it because <laughs> there aren't enough of us, right? The few of us that are, that do exist are super busy working on projects. Right. Um, and then the second is, um, a lot of schools, especially if they're accredited, they're afraid of it because uh, it's it's a new and unknown. Um, you know, being the first to explore a new section of an industry is terrifying. And especially in education where things move slowly and you've got huge government requirements. Right. Uh, taking those types of risks is terrifying. And so, like, in Full Sail's case, and I'm projecting onto Full Sail. This is not an official statement from them that they've ever told me, but... Um, They know how to teach and how to get employed modelers, environment artists, animators, and riggers. And so rather than taking a gamble on this brand new thing and maybe not passing the accreditation requirements, they've just doubled down on focusing on what they know and what they already do relatively well. Um, I've pitched to them for going on 14 years now that the VFX industry is wildly underserved and is such a massive opportunity to drive employment opportunities for students, but they get stuck on, on those two general issues. There's not like, where do I get a teacher? And uh, it's risky. Yeah. The,
0: the getting the teacher, I think it would be a major sticking point,
1: right? Like is, I don't
0: think they're, they're usually one to shy away from the, let's get in there first and teach people how to do this thing that that has a big market, right? Because that's that's how game development started. That's how you know they did it like a um cybersecurity degree, you know, things that are like, hey, there's Especially tons now of yeah, people are
1: into I don't even know how many programs they have now.
0: Oh, I don't either. It's I've lost count. And yeah. I, <laughs> and they never get eight rid eight of any. I so, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it's interesting. I I, I at least want to have a couple of conversations cuz I feel like that's especially in our industry is something that's so valuable, so underserved and it's, it just seems like something that people th- there's a great Avenue there to get hired. Right. And, and do really good work and, and make a good living for yourself.
1: Yeah. And it's uh it's, it's such an underserved area that it actually sucks to be an external vendor. Um, it sucked my entire career because like I had great job stability, but it meant that I could never get help. Um, and then now as an external vendor, what happens is, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this with potentially my, my team on this call and uh, they know it, um, VFX artists are so in demand that like some companies are throwing out insane salaries and those are really tough to keep up with. So I already like, we have to have a really aggressive comp package. And I, I, it's super important to me disregarding this part of the conversation. It's it's extremely important to me that we're providing and taking good care of our team members and that our team members always have growth opportunities, which is expensive. Um, And so our rates are higher than I wish that they were, but it always puts me in this place where I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because um, I run into outsourcing managers that are used to working with international outsourcing over in Malaysia, and uh, they want to pay me minimum wage. And then I turn around and like, my artists rightfully can be earning and deserve extremely high salaries. Uh, and I'm just sort of stuck in the middle of that going like, well, what the hell do I do here? Um, whereas I, I just want more effects artists in the industry. All of yeah. everything is going to get better. Our tools are going to get better. The work flows are going to get better. The workloads are going to get better. We're going to crunch less. Uh, the skill sets of all the artists, like everybody going to grow together. If we get more artists in it, yeah. Um, there's also so many amazing opportunities for like for better artwork. It's driving me crazy seeing so many bad <laughs> VR experiences that are like just they're bad with because the VFX are bad um, or virtual production experiences and opportunities where like they couldn't get somebody that knows how to do a VFX and so they just did them wrong. Um, it's it's painful to see new really really cool threads of opportunity for our medium growing and yet not get done correctly because there's not enough people to do it.
0: Oh man. That is rough.
1: <laughs> and I suppose I like I'm going to carry on with that thread like I passionately love the concept of interactive storytelling. Um I don't know if have I talked too much about this, Jameson? This might be a, a dead I don't horse. Think so.
0: No, I don't think so. Okay.
1: All right, so I there's there's this this thought that the greatest human invention is storytelling because it's the way that we pass knowledge between generations. Mm-hmm. Like one of the, the core things that differentiates humans from other animals is that we can teach, um, and we tend to teach through storytelling. Uh, and so, if you take that, and then you also hold on to this notion that Interactive storytelling, so gameplay, VR, anything that's actually interactive is the only storytelling medium that can convey first-person emotions. Like, I can make, as a, as a developer, Jameson, you can make me feel guilty for something that I've done in a game. Right. You can make me feel proud for something that I've done in a game. Um, those are the only or sorry, uh, video games are the only storytelling medium that actually has the potential for first person emotions. And so with those two thoughts combined, I I do wholly believe that interactive storytelling could be one of the greatest inventions and certainly the best entertainment medium uh, that we've ever created. I think we're just barely scratching the surface of that, but it, It makes me super excited to see companies using a game engine in unique ways to create and craft new experiences. Um, Even small little dumb things like uh, just being able to hop into uh, watching a a tea ceremony in Nepal in Google's Cardboard VR. Um, You know, it's not done well, (laughs) but just like the potential of that is wild. For narrative transportation, right? I can just lift up my phone. and so when I see virtual production, when I see Childish Gambino using a game engine for his concerts, when I see people using game engines to tell like almost everything from Annapurna is innovative. Uh, those are just the types of things that I'm particularly excited about in the growth of our, our industry.
0: Yeah, man, that's uh, a, <laughs> that, that's what I love about, about making games in general is even the you know there there are those moments you talk about where we're trying to to elicit a specific response or emotional response from someone, but there's also the the unintended responses that happen and the conversations that happen and the people doing things that we didn't expect them to do. And that uh, what's that experience? The sandbox experience exactly. And that's yeah, I love that more than anything. And some people get frustrated by that because like oh they didn't do it the way that I wanted them to do that. That doesn't matter, right? Like you created an experience that probably a bulk of people are going to do the way that you wanted. But the ones that come out with something that's noteworthy and 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 like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like that just shows how how like impressive this medium is and that, mm-hmm. that you know, people can it's it's like reading a book. Like when you read a book, there's what's there, but there's also how you interpret it, you know, and and how it speaks to you. And games takes that to yet another level where it's like, I can have agency and then inflict my will upon this thing. And that's, uh,
2: you know, that's, it's super impactful.
3: Yeah.
1: There's, um, uh, Jenova Chen from that game company once gave me a quote that, that stuck with me, uh, where he said that he, he doesn't like the idea of storytelling. He likes the idea of story digging. Hmm. Um, and it's you know just like it was a little Jenova pun right but there's something that's, that did stick with me about that where he doesn't want the game to tell him the story he wants as a player to dig up the story and to experience it and find like find his own experience discovering that story and I think that that's also such a beautiful and cool notion to to experience design
2: I love that man and we ended up down a rabbit hole I didn't expect.
1: <laughs> That's I why it. I was excited about this.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: What are we supposed to talk about on here?
0: There, there tonight there was no there was no like real agenda, right? So normally I walk somebody through their career, we talk about what they learned. Instead, we're just like, hey, what sounds cool? Like let's talk about, you know, let's talk about our, you know, what we've been doing and what's been impactful to us.
1: It's funny these conversations are my favorite part of of going back to networking events with uh with the people at full sale and hall of fame yeah um and we you know because of covid and everything else we haven't really been able to do that for a while and so you're giving me a bit of my uh uh my deeply introspective conversation fix i love it uh, I I, same this that often people in in our realm of the world so
0: yeah, I feel exactly the same. This that's always been my favorite part of those kind of events as well. Especially because I want to hear what cool things people are working on because that inspires me. You know, like one, I'm super happy for the people that I'm talking to that are doing cool things, but then I also introspect that and I'm like, I need to do something that cool. Like what can I what how can I evolve what I'm doing to make it sound or feel that cool to me?
2: Like that's I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's also a component to to teaching that I super miss that I, I would get a lot out of that. I, I think one day I would love to figure out how I can get more involved just on the teaching side as well. And maybe that's through our own apprenticeship program. Maybe that's going back and, and teaching part time. Um, but there was something that I really love about hopping in and trying to solve a problem with somebody that's excitedly trying to learn that's just mm. infectious. And like, I end up learning so much more from it too, but seeing someone else's spark is, uh, it, you know, I, I ignite often too. So.
0: Definitely. I love that. Oh, wait. So somebody's asking about thoughts on O3DE. I have not even seen this. What are your thoughts? We on- it? Are we
1: going to delve deep into tools here?
0: Well, I mean, why not? Like, all right. I, I don't, I've never used open 3d engine.
1: It's, um, so Amazon rebrand do you know about Lumberyard with Amazon? I do.
0: Oh, is that what okay, this is? So Amazon
1: rebranded slash re is rebuilding relaunching Lumberyard. Gotcha. Um I do have a couple I, I've got some thoughts on it. I'm excited. I mean right now the our industry is fragmented weirdly between Unity and Unreal and proprietary. Right. Yep. Um and if you're in the proprietary section, your tools are either insanely powerful because they've been built bespoke for the one project that you're building. Right. Or they suck. Um and so your op- your options really are just like Unreal or Unity. So, uh more competition in that space I think is great. Um I'm really Amazon has so many different perspectives and motives that I'm really excited and curious to see how they tie it together with everything else they're doing. I think, you know, direct integration into Twitch and uh, AWS and Adobe Tools and Workflow, like they're trying really hard to reconsider a lot. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, if you actually sit down and you're inspired to make a game, you're going to go to the flashiest, most powerful engine, or you're going to go to the one that's the easiest to get into. And I, what I just described is Unreal and Unity. Um, mm, yep. So I'm really curious, like how they actually will get adoption.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Like I don't, so I know when I was talking with some friends that were working over there, you know, a couple of years ago when they weren't able to talk too much about what they were doing, but I could kind of get a sense of the kind of things they were making. Out of those conversations, I did not understand what this engine was for. You know, like Mm -hmm. what kind of game you're supposed to make with this engine. Um and and I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Cause like, you know, early on you know, back, you know, five, six years ago, whatever it was, if you want to make a first person game, you use Unreal. If you want to make something side scroller, two D mobile, you use Unity. Those are no longer true, right? Like that's that's no longer true. I think across the board you should use Unreal for everything, most likely. But uh if you're, you know, an independent person. But um now like but now it's like i don't i don't know if that's if that means that this engine is capable of a lot or i just don't
2: know what it's capable of yet Mm -hmm.
1: i have a a slightly cynical thought as well that like you know the old phrase of uh jack of all trades is a master of none yeah um i think it's a huge undertaking to try to make a generic use engine and none of the current engines that we have were made with that in mind like you just said unreal was made to be a damn good shooter engine for unreal tournament right and then they built on it and they built on it and at some point they branched it and said we should let people have this and then they built it out wider um unity started as a if i i might be bastardizing this one i believe it started with mobile in mind um or at least that was definitely one of the chapters in their existence where like they specifically targeted targeted being a great mobile developer. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm really it just seems like such a daunting experience to say, we're gonna make a brand new engine from scratch that's amazing for generic use. right. Uh, so i I don't know. I am so, excited to have multiple, multiple players. Like I love competition. I love creative destruction. I think that those are beautiful, beautiful things.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. And the only game that they've, that they're releasing is new world, right? So is this the MMO engine? Is this the RPG engine? Cause like unreal and unity are not the open world streaming, engines right like that you can do it you know because like days gone used unreal and kind of figured it out open world wise but they struggle with that a lot is this the thing when you want to build big skyrim type games is that what this is
2: for
1: yeah that's a that's a great question i don't know i'm i'm really curious i've actually got a couple friends that are working on that team um and so i uh I always text them and just like heckle them a little bit and try to get probes on on more information because I'm excited. I, I like I think that having somebody really go in and challenge the ways that we've done things is a really exciting, cool opportunity. Seems like a massive terrifying undertaking.
0: Yeah. That that is true. I just pulled up you know the I, website um, This it's... is
1: a, a slight tangent, but on Unity, I, I had a friend point something out to me recently that I hadn't thought about but is is one of those painfully obvious things um one of unity's largest streams of revenue is actually their ad serving platform really yeah
3: um do you mean like in-game ads is that yep oh really oh
1: and that that's also so fascinating to think about that like unity if that's true and they're focusing more on that and they want to grow that, it they don't actually uh want to necessarily compete with Unreal um for high-end AAA graphics and console games. They want to stay on on mobile and they want to stay like focus on that domain. Interesting. But again, purely speculation. The uh those are those are some bar conversations for us. <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: I, so man, I gotta say, I I want to do this more often. So I feel like we need to just set up like a, at least a quarterly. Let's just get together and chat on our own or something. Like or just have you come back on here every quarter just talk about whatever bullshit, you know? Because like I I love these conversations so much. And I don't get to have them like this enough.
3: Love that.
1: Yeah, these these are fun, man. I um, one of the interesting things about working from home now. Uh, is that I don't often take much of an opportunity to to give myself sort of heartfelt moments in this industry, and it, like related to work. I'm either I'm working on stuff for business uh, or I'm turning off entirely and going and trying to have my my life with my wife and my home here.? Right. Um, and so I, I am starting to feel burnt out quite frequently um and little brief moments like this where i do get to step back and like talk with somebody that is in our industry and passionate and like just pushing yourself uh and it's infectious man it's like i, I really really do love these so um I'd, I'd love to i don't know if your viewers are interested in all the shit we're talking about are you kidding um, no they they love it
0: it's good and the best part about this too is I'm later going to make an audio and a YouTube podcast version of this. So anybody that missed it or wants to catch back up on it, there's going to be plenty of avenues. So that's good. So
1: DJ joined us. DJ is, uh, is the other guy that uh, I was in that story oh, yeah. of uh, being at the bar and we were trying to figure out how to talk as VFX artists, where we realized that we need to come to better together as a community. That's DJ. Nice. Welcome. So David Johnson runs uh, actually one of our, our parallel companies. I guess my competition, he runs another VFX studio out of Savannah. Nice. Called Undertone Effects.
0: Oh, out of Savannah. Man, Savannah is my wife's favorite city in the country. You did
1: something uh, right when you moved there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like one of those top three places we would ever move to if we're going to move. So that's, uh, that's good. It's funny, though. You mentioned him being competition is it really competition when there's so few people doing it? you know what I mean like there's plenty of work for you guys, and i that's another thing that just in general, I love about our industry is while there there always is the business side of things as far as developers go we we're not like i'm gonna i' I'm, I'm not I'm gonna shut you out so I get this thing like we're collaborative outside of our companies, outside of our projects, just that openness has always been really really nice
1: yeah. That's definitely the, um, that's the heart of, of the way we want to keep the industry too. I mean, DJ and I talk frequently we pass each other clients. We're both fortunately booked out for at least till the, the, through the rest of this year. Um, and so I, uh. I don't know. I actually, I really want to figure out how to make a more, more of a collaborative and open conversation between us. It's, this is weird, like speaking about a third person here in the chat <laughs> with us the so, DJ. I'm sorry, uh, but I'll just chime in and say, like, I I have loved the fact that it does feel more like we're siblings in yeah. this big effort to get developers to understand how to work with us, yeah, um, how to work with external developers as, as teammates instead of just as outsourcing, right? It's, the last year, actually, there's a, a new phrase that came out of um, out of a couple conferences, and it's co-development. Mm. And it's funny to hear people throwing that phrase around. And, and uh, what it's meant to be is we're not hiring you as an outsourcer, meaning we're not putting up barriers in the way uh, where we just kind of give you a to-do list. We actually want you to come in and be co-developers with us and help us make this experience. And that is exactly the the dream of all the relationships that we have because we love being a part of a team, um, and so it's nice to finally have that that phrase. I find that it's actually made our, a lot of our conversations easier because I can just say we're a co-development studio, not an outsourcing studio, and people understand what what we mean. Yeah. Um, but DJ is one of the studios uh, or one of the the people sort of pushing in this industry along with me uh, to help break down some more of those barriers and get developers to realize that we can hop in and be a part of a team and, and help you achieve your vision and then step away.
0: Yeah. Well, and like, also like, I love that you said brothers because you, you helped me kind of form together the thought that other developers start to feel like family very quickly, right? Like it's, it's, it's like this big community of people because even if you meet somebody who's working on some other title, some other company, whatever, you know that this industry is so small that next month you might be working together. So you're, it's this big pool of people that are like very similar and like, it's just, it's a really cool vibe. And in your situation specifically, there's probably more work than you can handle. So there's times where you're going to be like, you know what? I can't do this. Hey, meet my friend, you know, like meet, meet this other company that, that also can do great work. And like that stuff can, can be huge because then, later that comes back the other way, right? Like it's, and, and when we're talking about networking, that's another big part of it, not thinking about what you're going to get. But sometimes when you, when you do that and you're like, Hey, you know, you throw something someone's way, eventually you're going to get something thrown back to you just because that's
2: how the world works.
1: And our industry is so small and,
3: and mobile and ever changing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, man. We yeah, got- I totally agree. I mean, I,
1: uh we do have to turn down a lot of the the clients that that call on us right and and i usually try to open up those calls and just say look i i don't know if i'm going to be able to help you directly but i'd love to talk about your problem space and see if i can come up with a solution with you yeah um and we end up referring a lot of contractors i've actually i've helped a lot of studios with their hires um like they i've had a couple different studios come to me and say hey we don't even have an effects artist in house can you help us hire somebody and i'd say dude i'd love to Let's talk, let's figure out your credentials, and I'll join the interview with you. And let's see if we can land you on an, an awesome internal artist. Because all of that's a positive experience, right? Like My goal as a studio is to help other studios make amazing visual effects experiences. And I can do that by providing the artist directly. I can do that by helping them set up their internal team. I can help them by just saying, like, no, that's a terrible idea. Here's a better idea. Yeah, and all of those are are good things that lead to the the correct end result.
0: Man, and and here's the thing: like, I I don't know what other industry industries this applies to, but one thing I know that is true about ours that's different from cutthroat industries is whenever you're like genuinely out to help people, help a company, it's it's gonna end up becoming something that that is that is a benefit for you later. Like that that giving nature always comes back around at some point it's not the point right like you're not doing it because you're going to get something later but you do like it just like it, it's just such a
2: welcoming and kind of you know nature of, of what we do and I love
1: also it. and this kind of goes back to those base morals like i've been doing this for long enough that i i don't i don't feel the need to to get my fame and my uh, awards and things like that. I want to be proud of not only the work that I've done, but also how I did it. Um, And if our industry shifts where I can't still be a good person and succeed, then fuck it. I'll go do something else, man. I don't want to exist in that world.
0: (laughs) It's such, it's such hard work. And you know, it it takes so much out of us to be a part of it that you have to enjoy it. You have to continue to enjoy it in order to, to keep putting that energy into it. So I get that for sure.
1: And also, I like, I will once again, contribute to that statement that like, I'm blessed to have a resume behind me that gives me the freedom to be able to make that statement. Right. Like I'm not hard pressed. Uh, I know that I'll be okay because I've got this wealth of experience behind me. And that's not true for everybody, especially people starting off. Um, yeah. But since I do have that ability, I think it's even more important than that. I, I focus on, also maintaining that type of positivity and and goodwill for everybody.
0: I love it. I want, I want to touch on this question that LeafCore has just asked in the chat. It says, tell us the time you missed a deadline, but make it fun, please. Okay, let's see. <laughs> I, while you're thinking, I'm going to tell mine.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, do you yeah. have one? You can go first. So, and
0: this one isn't as... It's not going to be as impactful overall, I think, but what happened was I'm working at Oddworld and we had a bunch of like, this is my first like big project, like I mentioned before on Stranger's Wrath. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, my child is coming, all these things, like lots of work. And I was like, I recognized early, I'm not going to hit a deadline, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going to make this. And we had one project manager there. And, and I went to him. This is the only time I'd done this because he, because generally everything was worked out in a way that we didn't really need to move our deadlines. We kind of were very good about figuring how much work we needed. We planned it out, all that stuff. It was, it was really good. It ran very well. In this case, I was like, I'm very nervous about making this deadline. So I went to him like three days before. And I said, all right, I'm not going to make this deadline. I'm going to need an extra day, just a day to do this thing. And he's like, dude, like, no problem. Go do the thing, right? Like, it's not a problem. we we'll extend your schedule. <laughs> what made it so funny for me was the guy that was sitting next to me as I'm working on this. He, he was someone who was very regimented, and he had made a whole bunch of his own rules for himself about this is how things happen. This is how I approach things. This is the only way to do things, right? Like that kind of mentality, and when, when, uh, when something came up and I was like, oh, I'm actually going to be turning that in tomorrow. He's his reaction was what I loved so much. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I, I it's going to take me an extra day. Well, what are you going to do about that? Like, I already, I already did it. Like I, I, I talked to, to Scott about it and he's like, well, 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 what now? I'm like, well, He's like, that's not how this works. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not how this works. Like it was this moment of like, I, I went and did all the right things to make sure that I had this time to, to miss this deadline and, and you know, create a new one, but his brain could not process that the rules changed <laughs> and, <laughs> and just knowing this guy that was so regimented and he just, he couldn't handle it that we had this like half hour conversation about why <laughs> I had an extra day. I'll never forget it. It was a, it was a moment I, that impacted me.
1: I think the part that I I love about that is that this other person had such a well running machine that he couldn't comprehend it, <laughs> right? Not functioning the way that he would laid out.
0: Yeah, he just he couldn't fathom that's, that that's this would happen in
1: its own right. Yes. <laughs> the other thing, just to speak to this, um, one of the things that I've found over and over and over again is that. Uh, schedules shift and deadlines need to change. Like, they, you're, you're going to hit them, you're going to miss them, or you're going to need extra resources or, you know, something feature creep happened. Um, yeah, that's, that half hour did <laughs>
0: extended did the break it
1: even more. Um, <laughs> but you were proactive about it. And what I've always found is that, like, as long as I'm proactive about having a conversation about an obstacle upcoming... Then that's a responsible thing to do. And it's yep. viewed warmly. Yep. Um, but if I wait until the day of and say I'm not gonna make it, or the moment of, then I fucked up. And then it like I look bad. Yep. Um and so it's it's so interesting that like for the same potential end result of I need to take an extra day, if I communicate it early, on one hand that makes me look responsible and earn respect from my peers. Or if I do the opposite and just communicate it late, then -hmm. I've lost respect and I look irresponsible. It's, it's always just struck me as very interesting how like divergent both opportunities are over such a simple, like just communicate early,
2: man. All right. I'm going to take this fifth shot and then I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit more. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. All right. So when I was teaching every, the last
0: class of every month, I would do my industry lecture where I would go through my career, talk about all those things. And, and what you just described is one of the most important things I would talk about. And to further elaborate on that point, the sooner that you tell someone that there's a concern, the more options you have to solve the problem. Right? So if I'm a week out from a deadline and I'm like, Hey, I'm not tracking. Well, there's a lot of things we can do. We can scope, we can add help, right? Like there, there's multiple things we can do to fix the problem. When we get to that last day and I'm like pushing through, I can make it, I can handle it, I can figure it out. And we get to the last day or so and you're like, fuck, I'm not going to make it. There, There's not as many options now, right? Like nobody no. coming to help you is going to do anything. You're either going to have to extend a deadline or get rid of something or, you know, it's it's only bad things really that can happen at that point. Unless your schedule is very flexible, Right. So the earlier in this, I preach the earlier you can identify potential issues. Even if you're wrong, I would much rather
2: you say, I don't think I'm going to make this. Let's adjust now because we got more ways we can do that.
1: We got the question. Is there such a thing as communicating too early? I don't think so. I don't either. There's there's always
0: the fear, right? There's always the fear of like, am I a complainer? Am I, am I really pushing myself, those kind of thoughts, I would say push those out of your mind. Because if you have an internal conviction that this, this thing is potentially not going to work, you need to go with it.
2: That's my thought.
1: I always tell my team as well, like, even if you just have a, a hint of an obstacle, of a pothole coming at us, call it out. Because yeah. then all of us can watch it with you. Right, and, yeah. And you know, just, just say, hey... I'm pretty sure we're OK, but this might end up being a problem. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye on it, uh, and I'll let you know on Friday or something right. like that, right? Um, or here's what I'm going to do to solve it. And then all of a sudden, I and my project manager and our art leader, we're all going to sit there and be like, OK, well, um, is there anything we can do to help? Uh, is, there, uh, is there anybody that has similar experiences that we can help throw into the-? like? It becomes a team. The one thing that like what I found over and over again is that if you fail with your team, then all of you failed and you're all there together and it's okay. But if you fail your team, you're alone. Yep. Um, and so I always look for more ways to bring my team into my problems with me because they're going to help me succeed far better than I ever could of myself, but also we'll all go through the hurdles and the ups and downs together. And that is the point.
0: Yeah. On top of that, you are an expert in the thing you know, right. and you don't, you have assumptions, but you don't know what's important to the other parts of your team. So I literally already had an example this week where we were trying to figure out a, a solution to a problem, and I had, I had presented a potential solution, which ended up not working for the animation team. And, but then in that conversation, we found out that what they cared about was different than I knew what they cared about. We found a much simpler solution just by raising it as early as we could and found something that actually reduced work for everyone because we found a better solution early and it made it much better for for the
2: rest of the week. So like the, the sooner that you can communicate problems is almost always better. Wait, that's a very strange sentence. I find a way to
0: to being my team. Wait, to bring my team into the problems with me. <laughs> that, I mean that that is a little funny, right? Like you're you're throwing problems on them that they don't necessarily know that they need to to care about, but it's for the better of everyone. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, that's not to say that I'm making it their problem, but I'm. Uh, uh, everybody has different perspectives and solutions, and I'm still. I'm still stirring on on that question of uh time we missed a deadline and make it fun. The one that comes to mind for me, um I guess actually, let me pause. Shall we segue over to that? yeah, uh, absolutely absolutely okay the The one that comes to mind for me is um on Un- uncharted three we were prepping for our cruise ship tech demo at the on the stage at e three, and there's a there's a moment in that tech demo that for about one-tenth of the time that you'd play through it would cause a complete crash. Um, and it was definitely in the VFX. It's actually the moment that the car runs into the wall when the cruise ship tilts and explodes. And uh, now we know what, what it was. But at the time, we we could not fucking figure it out. Um, And our general policy is if the effect doesn't work in the game, we're not done, right? And so we totally missed our deadline of trying to be done with that tech demo days in advance. We pulled an all-nighter. We pulled, I think, probably like two all-nighters just trying to figure out what the hell was causing this one stupid bug uh, and burnt the disc that morning. And uh, like the guy took off right before the E3 demo, drove up downtown LA. And we were sitting there just thinking like, this is going to crash and I'm going to get fired. Um, and it was the most nervous I've ever felt in my entire career, like just sitting on the ground, rocking with a knot in my stomach, watching Evan walk out on stage to play it. And it's funny because he, he knew about it, obviously. And so he actually, when he's walking out, his mic was hot and he mumbles under his breath. He takes an inhale and he goes, here we go. Um... (laughs) because he was so nervous about it and there was just this like one-tenth chance that the game was going to crash and shit was going to like just look awful right and so um it fortunately didn't and i have never been so relieved in my entire life but the uh the reason that it broke was just such an odd and obvious like painfully obvious thing in hindsight afterwards um which is, it's oddly specific to VFX. I don't know if you want to dig into it or not, but it was, it was just like a one-button fix. And no, then it actually, was, that was it.
0: No, actually, I would love to hear that, especially if it's a one-button fix.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, so with, with emitters, uh, so you spawn particles over time traditionally, which is you, you just you plug in a rate and say, I'm going to spawn 30 particles over this next second. So 30 particles a second. There's also another type of spawner, that is a distance-based spawner. And so when an emitter moves X number of units, you spawn X number of particles. We structured it uh, differently, where we said, when an emitter moves X number of units, you spawn one particle. And so the actual attribute means that you are, if I set it to 1, then every 1 meter, I spawn one particle. If I set it to 0.1, then every 0.1 meters, I spawn one particle. Um, the problem with that setting is that we're in the habit of keying our emitters off by putting a keyframe to turn to set them to zero. Um, because if you're just doing with a normal rate, you've got it's zero particles per second and therefore it's off, right? The hose is closed. When you keyframe that distance equation down to zero, you are saying that every zero units move spawn one particle and spawn, therefore spawn an infinite number of particles. And therefore crash the engine. Uh, (laughs) Ah,
0: interesting. So quick aside, um, being neurodivergent or having ADHD means for me, the kind of conversation, the the story you just told is almost impossible for me because I don't remember those details. So, so what, what I need to have happen,
1: what's that? it was a pretty boring story no 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 no
0: no 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 detailed story that, that that's the point that i'm picking it like like you're able yeah. to articulate this very specific thing happened and i needed to make this change simple change in order to, to make that fix as i hear that i'm i'm sitting here trying to think back about these kind of problems and i can't my like recall is really difficult for me but if I were having this conversation with someone that I worked with on one of those projects and they're like, you remember that time that blah, I'd be like, Oh yeah, totally. We had to do this, this, and this. Like, it's just, it's like this weird, weird difference in like recall that, that's really frustrating well, also, for
1: me. Those are the types of problems that we run into. I mean, most of our job as a developer is like, it's actually debugging and figuring out why shit's not working the way you'd intended. Right. Yep. And so those are the types of problems that we face on a, regular basis. And it's just part of the day. I think the thing that stood out about that one for me is just the stakes. Oh like, yeah. I've never been so pinned <laughs> against a horrifying public disaster because of one of my asinine, simple workflow quirks,
0: man. That's uh. all right. We're going to schedule a time for you to come back on again, because one where we've got three minutes left, but two, I think I think we should dig into this kind of stuff a little bit more. Talk about just the intricacies of what we do day to day, because e- even in this, we don't talk about that very much. Like the kind of things I'm doing today, and the like hour to hour moments, and how I'm like trying to solve a problem. Like I know what I know where I am, and I know where the solution is, but there's these little things along the way, and like how do I error check, and how do I build it in a way that I know the next piece that i did is actually working wow. like we don't ever talk about that yeah. and everybody's process is a little different i'm sure too so i think that could be interesting for people yep. that care about this
1: that might actually be one of the things that most people are surprised by too is that i i think the the vision of your first job is that you're going to go and you're going to spend all day just creating and like for me as an artist you're going to spend all day just painting with particles and making cool things we actually spend I don't know. For for me, when I'm working in a game, it's probably sixty percent of my time is staring at it, going like, "Why the fuck isn't this working?" Yeah, it's yep. like I'm doing everything correctly. Why isn't this working? This is like I just wanted to do this five minute task, and now this is about to become a five hour process of yep. me to ask like, "Why isn't this working?"
0: Yep, and, and something you've done a hundred times now just doesn't do what you expected it to. And, and there's like okay does that mean someone else checked something in that that broke this now i've got to go look in perforce and see what the changes were recently look through the revision history did they affect the file that might affect this like people that don't do this have no idea the amount of like little things we we have to do moment to moment
1: do you um do you ever have a hard time transitioning from that logical, like it's almost a scientific experiment you have to do from that logical thought process into interactions with, with real life, with people that aren't in our industry in life. For me, it's my wife. So I (laughs) I step away from work and I problem solve with her the way that I do with like errors and it pisses her off to no end.
0: (laughs) So uh, I, I don't have as much of an issue with that because of, of of the ADHD, because like my, my brain kind of moves around a lot. What she gets frustrated with is the fact that I'm like, this thing made me think of this thing, which made me think of that thing. And then I'll say something and she will be like, how did you get there? And I'll have to like backtrack. So it's it's a little different for me, but it's really nice to have a partner that I can just like talk through that stuff with that has no idea what the result is or what the stakes are. You know, because then I can just like, here, here's this thing I was dealing with and here's where I got to. Here, here's where I am because the, the vocalizing of it often allows me to kind of move away from the, the moment I'm spinning in and then think about it objectively or hear something from her that like makes me think about it differently. That's super right. valuable. Right. Holy cow, yeah, have, we you ever,
1: a- uh, have you ever done the thing where you solve a problem in your sleep?
0: One hundred percent. I've done it many times, many, many times. It's frustrating and, and great at the same time because I know that I didn't actually sleep as it was happening, but waking up with, there've been many times I've woken up at like three in the morning with a solution to one of those problems and I have to go take care of it. Yeah. I'm with you.
1: Yeah. Insomnia is definitely a a part of, I think the excitement over these puzzles, but Oh man, DJ, that's,
3: that's amazing oh, and my horrifying. Gosh.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to, oh my the gosh. Overrun,
1: I wish I could do that. <laughs> I, Go, I do have a, I, I escape through hiking. I do a lot of mountaineering and climbing. Um, You're in a good place and, for it now. Uh, I I find that I get my daydreams back when I'm hiking. Hmm which is cool. So I, I I tend to like, I get less technical problems and puzzles solved, but like my bigger grandiose visions and goals come back to me.
0: Yeah, that's uh, you're, you're in a really good location for that now, right? Like you've got to be at least what, 30 minutes from a good hike. That's nice. I'm, I'm a, I'm a pace around the house person. Like I, I think best when I'm moving, like if I'm doing an interview or having a serious conversation on the phone, I'm walking like I can't sit still and have that kind of conversation. Uh, but man, it's, uh, there the shower and while I'm sleeping are the places that my mind kind of frees up enough of the stress of the problem
2: to think about the solution of the problem.
1: Yeah. There's something about putting some of that other nervous energy to, uh, to use that like frees up the rest of your thought process. Yeah. Do you have a ritual before hosting these? No.
0: Matter of fact, I don't. I, um, so I, I give myself an hour because I know that I need to go in and do things like, you know, update your name and the, the scrolling stuff below and, uh, you know, update the, the stream thing. So it says who, you know, who's going to be on the stream, that kind of stuff. But that's about it. And the reason is I am, I am very good on the fly and impromptu. Like, so I know the basic things like, so generally what I do with this conversation with someone is I start off with like, what was it like? What did you think you were going to do? What was your education? Like, what was your first job? Like, let's go from there. So I've got like just major themes that I make sure we hit along the way. Other than that, though, for me, it's about just where's the conversation going to go? And when it hits a lull, I go back to those things. I'm like, okay, we were here. What's the next step? Let's talk about that. I I love just the like everybody's story is so different. And even though we do the same things, how people got there, how, what they care about, what they've worked on, where they've worked, it's all so different. I just want to learn. And and I and I feel like the people that are here want that same information. So I'm just like, hey, if I care about it, they probably do too. So that I don't put too much stress on myself in that way. I will say though, and, and I've never publicly said this. You ready for this? I'm ready. Streaming stresses me out to a level that I cannot cannot describe. Yeah. But this, this is super enjoyable for me. Like I love this. I love the conversation. I love the value. I get a lot of out of, out of it. I feel like other people do but like sitting and playing a game and talking about it is incredibly stressful for me. And that's when I feel like I'm doing something that's not quite me. But when I'm doing this, I feel like I'm me, I'm
2: comfortable, the time flies. I love it, I love it so much.
1: I can absolutely understand that. I've never been able to, I've never actually even tried because I know this much about me, I don't want to be a solo host of anything. Um And so the thought of joining or of starting a stream and playing a game and trying to entertain a whole audience by myself while trying to enjoy playing a game, that sounds awful to me. <laughs> um, that just sounds like torture. Like if you want a way to torture me into submission of something, just put me in that scenario. Uh, but, doing it with somebody where like you and I, I don't know, even teaching and, and presenting, like I, I have a, I've 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 given presentations where I don't get to interact with the audience and I've hated it. And then I've given presentations where I do get to interact with the audience like a normal class and I love it. And the difference is that you kind of get to build out a relationship with the other person. Um, and I think that's that's the difference is that I'm, right now I don't feel like I'm performing. I feel like you and I are talking and having a great dialogue and our friends in the chat channel, well chat's a weird medium to interject where they're joining the dialogue and that's fun to me, but I don't want to be a performer.
0: You know what? That actually gives me an idea for the next hall of fame. We should like set up a scenario like this because I feel like people that come to, to hall of fame talks would enjoy experiencing something like this live too. Yes. So I feel like we should, we should talk more about that. Cause I think that could be fun. Maybe even for this next March.
4: That'd
3: be
1: awesome.
0: Hmm. get my wheels. Spin I, um,
1: I love the notion. I so actually Grant and I started doing this. Um, and I want to push it more. I really like co-teaching classes mm. where two different people hop in to teach each other something. Um, there's something really nice. Like imagine you were teaching me how to do something in game design and the type of dynamic that that would have. It immediately focuses your scope in because you know that I'm the audience and we get to have a relationship while you're teaching me. Right. Um, it's also a lot more enjoyable to watch. It's kind of, that's the premise of the Learn Squared tutorial. Like LearnSquared.com, a bunch of artists, they, they teach each other. And they record it. And so you get to watch and learn with one of their students. And I, I love that premise.
0: That's really interesting. Hmm. Now I've got even more to noodle on. Well, especially because I think having you back on here, w- let's, let's talk later about what that would look like, because maybe we do something like that, right? Like maybe we, we out a scenario where you come on back on and we, and I like you teach me something specifically, or I teach you something and maybe somebody else will learn something too.
3: I think that'd be a blast.
0: All right. We, we're actually over time, but we got one more question that I want us to answer, and then, then we'll wrap things up. What are you playing so, right now? DJ asks.
1: Whew, um, I've got a... Uh, so the one night a week that I keep to myself uh, is I've got a couple of old friends that we play strategy games together. We've been playing Crusader Kings 3 um i don't i don't play long or games that long uh and so this is an absolute record for me we've put in 130 hours into crusader kings 3 and we're still on our first round of this game Um, and so uh i'm playing that still much to my dismay uh and then we also my team actually just had a game night and we started playing tribes of midgard and um it it stuck with me it's a it's a very, very rough game, but there's something in the recipe that's appealing to me right now, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, so I'm playing that. Interesting.
0: So I mentioned before I'm playing Marvel Strike Force on the phone. I always have one gotcha-type game that I'm always playing, and I, but only one. Whenever I try to have more than one, I can't do it. Uh, but I'm playing Final Fantasy 14 as well, trying to get through the story to get ready for Endwalker, and I just started the new Ratchet and Clank game. And I, that, that's a bit of just me, you know, playing what my company's worked on. So that's kind of where I'm at, but I I've got the ascent installed on my Xbox series X and I want to try out that new dark Alliance game too. So those are two that, that I'm kind of moving toward as well.
1: I still haven't played Hades.
0: Oh, dude, which is, uh, do you have game pass? Cause it's coming out uh, later this month on game pass. I'm going to play it. Really? Too.
1: Yeah.
3: That's
1: cool.
0: I've been waiting for um, that one. I
1: do. Yeah. I'm, that one's just time. I think I've even bought Hades probably twice, uh, <laughs> like on Steam and, and something else. But um, I'm ashamed to say that one because I, I keep looking at it thinking like, man, I know I'm going to love this game. Same. And then I, because I'm that excited to play it, I also don't give myself the time to. Dude, I so many it's such a things.
0: struggle. It's like, I know I want to <laughs> put a bunch of time into this, but I don't have it. What do I do?
1: Yeah, it's weird. I, find my, I filter myself and I end up playing games that I'm not excited about. Because then it's easier for me to stop, and then yeah you know, I find like little surprises, but it I do end up leaving all these games behind that I'm super stoked about because I don't want to lose myself into it.
0: <laughs> I a hundred percent understand what you're saying like that's that is a very real problem. like if I can't devote the time I think I need to really enjoy something, i I won't do it, and then I never do it. and then I'm like, I really should get back to that.
3: Oh man Yeah. Uh,
1: That is a Kratos Sackboy. And then next to it, Jameson, can I... Do you have one minute for a random fun story? Absolutely. Alright, so... um, Does anybody know what this is from? Let me see if I can...
2: Arcadia. That's not from Bioshock, is it?
1: It is. Is it? So, Bioshock... uh, I'm a huge Bioshock fan, and when Bioshock... I'm going to date myself. Two was coming out. They did this whole uh, online treasure hunt campaign with like geocaches. And we figured out after, I think it was like a month long reveal of clues. We figured out that one of the geocaches led to a beach in Santa Monica. Uh, And so I convinced the marketing guys at Naughty Dog to let me go out there with a whole bunch of free Naughty Dog games and swag. Um, (laughs) And... Basically crashed the uh, the reveal of all of these bottles that were supposed to wash ashore uh, with a bunch of like posters and things like that from Bioshock Two in it, uh, and so I went out there with a whole bunch of Naughty Dog swag, and uh, <laughs> and then the Bioshock Two crew were out there setting up with like these bottles just buried in the sand, um, and so I like it's one of my favorite random memories. It's just a plastic bottle, uh, but I love this thing.
0: I I'm sitting here racking my brain, trying to wonder, I'm trying to figure out how I knew that that was Bioshock related because I didn't play two I played Bioshock and I played infinite. Like there must've been something out there marketing or something that may, that that connected that for me, because I don't know.
1: Also not too many games that do hit that art style. That's true.
0: And that's one of my favorite parts of that
2: series for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a unique uh, vibe in general. I would probably be able to plant that. Yeah. You know, it's, what's oh, a well little, that was a good guess.
0: No, I, I, it's really funny. I, I'm planning to raid someone whose uh, whose username is, would you kindly? And so, which is super interesting. Uh, but that, that maybe, maybe that's even what made me think of that to begin with. But, uh, <laughs> which for those that have not played the first Bioshock, one of the biggest twists of any game ever is in that game. and And you need to, you need to
4: play that
1: for sure yeah dude We that that game definitely uh it fits a really important part in the history of of narrative presentations in in video games
0: oh my gosh so good such an impactful experience that and fallout 3 were two of the games that like just like sucked me in into a different place you know and it was just such such a cool experience I envy people that haven't played the first Bioshock because they're like, oh, I never, never played or never finished that. I'm like, look, you need to go do that. I need you to go do that so we can talk about it later. So can, could you just make that happen, please?
1: Is that like people that haven't read the Harry Potter books oh. or seen the movies, like finished Lord of the Rings, all the, the huge, or uh, the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. That was oh. a big one, right?
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> So that, that it's funny you mentioned that because when me and my wife watched through Game of Thrones uh, her first time a couple of years ago, I was like, the red wedding was literally what I was like the whole time. Like, I can't wait until we get to this point. <laughs> it's such that's an impact. It's just the
1: benchmark of like, okay, there's before the red wedding and then there's our conversation that's possible after the red wedding. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my God. It's a quarter after. We've, uh, we've gone too long. Not, I mean, whatever that means, but seriously, let's schedule some time to come back on. Uh, we'll figure out some fun thing to do then. I really enjoyed this and I didn't even get to any of the questions I had on my list. So we, we've got plenty of, yeah, absolutely. But man, I really appreciate you joining me again. I'm going to jump off and say my goodbyes and we'll figure out some time to do this again.
1: Awesome. It was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, this is always an absolute blast, and I take a ton away from it. So thank you guys all for hanging out with me and uh, letting me quiz Jameson a little bit.
0: <laughs> good. That makes me feel good. So awesome, man. We will do it again soon. And I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Peace. Cheers guys. Good night all. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. And don't forget you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jamison Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime.
3: We'll see you soon.